I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, where I talk about what it means to belong to the earth, to yourself, to your ancestors, and in community. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Belonging, a very special two-part series of episodes where I, Becca Piastrelli, your host, am sharing a bit more about the conversations that happen inside the Hearthfire community. So maybe you've just found me and this podcast, or maybe you've been following me for a little bit. I talk about Hearthfire a couple times a year, but it's a community space, sacred container, virtual, where we talk and we share our journeys to feel a deeper connection to ourselves, a sense of belonging. It's a healing and support space for us to devote ourselves to this work of reclaiming a life that truly nourishes us, one that is in deeper integrity, one that has us being better ancestors, one that has us healing, healing the wounds of living in these systems, wounds that come from our ancestors and our families, Wounds that have us holding ourselves back in a time where our voices and our actions and our hearts are deeply needed. So we have pretty regular calls in Hearthfire where we witness each other exactly where we are without fixing it. We do rituals, we do meditations, we listen to guest teachers, teach us about different aspects of this reconnection journey to belonging. And I recorded one of our calls with the consent of everyone who joined specifically to talk about this elusive idea sense that we deeply long for called belonging. And so a group of us got on Zoom, good old Zoom, our favorite place to be in 2020, to just share our voices, our experiences without any sort of like coaching or fixing with real witnessing and reverence for where we all are at. And the the very simple question I asked everyone was what's been a challenge in each of our journeys to foster, cultivate, create a deeper sense of belonging in our lives. And you'll hear me share my own personal responses and reflect on other shares. And you'll hear from some of these amazing women in this community with their own stories. And I, I think what feels exciting about sharing these conversations that we have often in Hearthfire is to remind us to not be exclusive in our spaces of healing to create these ripples outward. And that can feel really vulnerable and scary. Like, what will people think of me? Well, they think I'm weird. We actually talk about that in this episode. Or, you know, is the vulnerability too much? Will I be burned? And I think this healing work is so important to remember that it's powerful to share what's happening for us in safe and brave space. So I'm just so honored that these women trusted me and each other to share this. So uh, in this first part, part one, part two comes out soon. I bring us in with a grounding meditation that I hope you'll join me on. And then we hear, we hear from 
three of the women about their journeys and their struggles and their tender stories. So I present to you part one of this very special conversation on belonging in Hearthfire. Thank you for coming to this very special it's actually just like one of our calls. We're just sharing it with the world a bit more. So thank you for coming and sharing your voice and sharing your heart with whoever is going to be listening to this, whenever they're going to be listening to it. Uh, the real intention with this call is one, to keep us connected, to keep us in the work. They're just so good. We just wanna keep circling in this experience together. And two, to share with folks who maybe listen to the podcast belonging or someone shares it with them, it says, hey, I think you need to hear this or folks who feel maybe deeply alone in this time or that not enoughness or in some sort of struggle and some sort of belief that they're the only ones in this struggle and some sort of longing, yearning for a sense of belonging in this time. And I can relate. <laughs> can we all relate? We're not the council of elders like, well, here's what you do. <laughs> because as I share a lot on the podcast and also here in Hearthfire, I feel like I'm a student to belonging. Like that is my lifetime's work. I'm a student of belonging. And it's like an onion in every layer, every layer. I'm like, oh, there's another layer under there. Okay, cool. Great. I'm just going to hang on this layer for a second. All right. I can go to the next layer and just know that it's all in service of healing and growth, particularly when I do take a historical and ancestral perspective, right? When I think about the ways my ancestors couldn't gather in this way. And I don't mean just on the internet. I mean, just like together that wasn't safe or that wasn't trusted or they weren't able to trust each other. I think about the ways my ancestors, our ancestors couldn't feel a love of their bodies and felt a mistrust of their bodies. I feel sadness for the way my, our ancestors were severed from their relationship with the natural world, with the land, with a deep trust and knowing of stones and waters and plants were taken from their homes or had to leave or had them colonized, how then they perpetuated that harm and really a disconnection from themselves, right? These are the four areas of belonging that I bring up over and over again. I'm writing a book about, it just came to me, these four areas that have been a part of my healing work. I mean, I get emails and I'm mostly at DMs and Instagram a lot from um, like, at least on a daily basis from folks who read about Hearthfire or read what I have to say and are just say like, I want this. I, I, or I feel you, I feel this. And for X reason, I can't have it, you know, or it's not for me, or I don't trust the village. Uh, I was burned. I was really burned real bad by this person. 
I've got trauma in my family line. I've got mommy issues. I've got daddy issues. And I'm just like, yes, same. (laughs) Same. So this is a way to normalize that. So before we begin, because it's a day and we're all in our days and then we came here together, if we can just land together. And I'm inviting folks who are listening to take a moment to land with me. And if you're driving, I, I would love for you to pull over and land with me. Because I know a lot of people drive and listen to podcasts, including me. So if we can just, this is something I do, we do together here in Hearth Fire at the beginning of our calls, because especially in this like COVID Zoom time, like we're just like call to call to call to call. And I find like transition is really not honored unless you honor it, you know, which is why I like to have space between calls if possible, or just like take a moment at the beginning of calls just to be like, okay, where am I? What am I doing? So in that way, I ask you to get comfortable, as comfortable as you can get. So I'm sitting on my kitchen table, so I'm just going to make sure both feet are on the ground, making sure my sacrum is hitting the back of the chair. And I'm closing my eyes if that feels safe and good for you. Can if not, can soften your gaze. And we're gonna connect to our breath. We're going to be breathed by ourselves and by the world. So take a deep breath in through your nose and let it go out your mouth. Try to go slow, breathe in through your nose. If you find yourself having limited capacity, honor that and just breathe out as much as you can. Just starting to soften the body, breathing in again through the nose and letting it go out your mouth. You can continue to breathe like that. And just take a moment to be in your body So many of us leave our bodies during the day, right? We live in such a mind-obsessed culture. That's okay. We have bodies. So as I'm tuning into my body, I'm noticing myself kind of doing like very subtle hip circles. It's probably because I'm nine months pregnant and my body wants that. So maybe your body... Maybe there's a part of you that's achy that could use a little touch or just some acknowledgement. I find just even saying, I see you. I see you, digestive system. I see you, knees. I feel you, shoulders. And if you, if you can even send some healing Whatever that means to you, maybe it's a visualizing healing light or pouring love from your heart or from your breath when you breathe, calling in healing oxygen. Whatever feels true for you, we're not dogmatic here, just feeling your body, love on your body, give gratitude to your body. 
And I want you to be aware of the earth beneath your body. So all of us, no matter where we are, have the earth beneath us. And it might, it might be 27 floors beneath us. It might be just beneath some concrete or down an elevator. So make that visual in, in your mind's eye, that visual travel so that you can meet the earth beneath you. And I often ask, ask us to root into that earth. So maybe that is growing roots from your seat or your feet, or it's dropping a cord or just, or just feeling, feeling the roots of the trees, the roots of grasses, the roots of ancient, ancient plants that are composting back to the earth, just feeling all that is alive in the earth beneath you. You're more visual, you can see it. You can see the animals sleeping or the insects busily crawling and building. You can see the waters and the stones and the clay. Maybe you can feel it. Or maybe just sitting here breathing, knowing that there is an earth that is alive beneath you is enough. So much we just forget, we forget about our bodies and we forget about the body of earth. So spend some time in this place of reconnection, remembering to breathe. Let's do that together. Breathe in through your nose and let it go. Another big deep breath in through your nose and let it go. Another moment of stillness and connection with your body, with the earth. Taking a moment to acknowledge the original ancestors of the land you live on. Do you know their names? If you do, Acknowledge them in your heart. I honor the Coast Miwok, the Southern Pomo, whose land I'm on. I am but a guest here. If you don't know the name, make a note to find out at some point. Maybe you feel desire to acknowledge the trees the stones and the animals and the plants that also call this place you are in this moment home. We are all but guests here together. And then setting an intention for this time, this time we have together. So my intention is for us to open our hearts, share what's true, with the deeper purpose of re-knitting the tattered threads of disconnection so that we can remember what belonging means to us. We can remember the power of dialogue. We can remember the power of sisterhood. 
and that we can repair this severance and awaken from the amnesia to know what belonging is. Knowing it is a journey and each moment is sacred. May it be so. Another big deep breath in and let it go. Maybe start to wiggle your fingers and toes. Come back to us. Take your time. Thinking, open your eyes. Sometimes one can go deeper than you think. So just climb your way back. Thank you. So I was thinking about this conversation today. I just want to get really real about the systems we live in, the, the patterns we inherit, the beliefs, the stories, the challenge, the very real challenges of feeling belonging in this world. So I'm saying this word belonging and chances are there's like an area of your life where you're like, that's what it means. Like it's about female friendship or it's about my neighbors or it's about my family or it's about my body. It's about sexuality. It's about my, my gardening. <laughs> like it's about whatever it is. It's about, do I belong here on this planet? I hear that. So I'd love to open this discussion that I'm very much a part of to ask like, what has been a very real struggle for you when it comes to belonging? What has been maybe even surprising? Like, oh, like on our last call, a sister here said like, I should have had it, I should have it figured out by now. And I have kind of shame around that. Like, that's a really interesting one, right? Like, what is that thing? What is that area? And maybe you've done a lot of work on it where you've really felt some struggle to, to feel like, oh, I belong in this. And um, when you're ready, you can just raise your hand. Like, you know. Kate. So for me, it's always been among my peers. Ever since I was young, I always really struggled connecting with other people. I always felt like I was always, like they were speaking the social language that I just didn't know the words to. And now that I'm older and can step more into myself, I realize like I'm just a very, like I know what I need in a friendship and it's very deep, it's very nurturing. And as you grow older, I think when you're a kid trying to find that, you don't know what the language is. You don't know what that looks like because that can be a very mature thing to look for when you're, you know, 12 or 15 or what have you. And even among my very, very close friendships, when I was well into college, I felt like I struggled to belong because I think my friends are like incredible. They're smart. They're so well-spoken. They're brilliant. They're beautiful. They bring so much to my life. And for a long time, I really struggled. Can I compare? Can I bring the same things to the table? I'll be sitting there and we're having a conversation and I feel so like I'm coming up short. I'm like trying to bridge this gap. And as I do more work on myself in other areas of my life, whether that's my self-esteem and how I view my body and my worth as a person, I'm able to access that more 
But what always really helped is for me, my friends were such a safe space that they said, even at the beginning, they got me, they held me and connected with me. And that's so important to me. And I think especially like in today's world, that's a very difficult thing to articulate. And it's, you can't find it if you don't know what you're looking for and you can't give it if you don't know that that's what's needed from another person. And so I'm seeing this absence of that kind of language around, I need this deep knowing from you and you need it from me, but how do we get there? Because we're not taught the way. And so coming back to belonging for me is, it's like learning the way. And that comes also from the self. Because now from where I'm at, looking back at, you know, through college and high school, I was so disconnected from myself, that deep knowing, I knew it was there, but I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to access it, what it looked like. And the structures I was in didn't lend that like flexibility to me. And so if you can't give that to yourself, even that sense of, I see you, I hold you, I know you, then it's going to be really hard to enter that conversation with anyone else. So I was so grateful that my friends could kind of start that for me and I for them. So I'm complete. Mm, thank you. Thank you. You just like named a bunch of really important things. And I'm deeply curious about that transition that you made with your friends because I can relate to that so much. I think for a while in my early 20s, I was like really into trauma bonding with friends or like complain, complain bonding or like shit talk bonding where I, I realized I actually, I, like, I craved depth. You, Kate, you say deep knowing. I see you. I know you. And I like, I didn't have the tools and I was also scared. I was also really scared of um, being judged as weird or too much or or like rejected or like having like a vulnerable moment manipulated or betrayed. It's like, so not like that anymore. I mean, I have moments, we have tender moments with friends, but also I have the, the tools and the communication to be like, so we're in a thing. Can we, can we talk out this thing? So Kate, I don't know if you want to expand anymore. I did hear you say you're complete and I want to honor that about like, where did you learn these tools or did it just naturally happen? Because I think so many folks say like, I want to get to that side and I, I like don't know how, Yeah, you know, or I can't yeah. get out of the pattern. Yeah, absolutely. I love talking about this. Like I'm sure my friends are sick of it because this is a fairly new thing for me anyway. I think part of it just comes from getting older. I mean, I'm only 23, so I know that's kind of relative to some people, but learning to trust yourself. And for me, it was therapy was a huge, huge part of it. A lot of other pieces in my life had to kind of come back together for this to happen. I've mentioned before, I've been in eating disorder recovery for about a year and a half. And even now it's been such a, I'm in such a different place than I was six months ago and a year ago. And I think part of it was I dove in head first, like I don't want to be in pain anymore and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get to the other side. And that meant shadow work. That meant sitting with, well, this really upsets me. Why? That meant this is really scary. What if X, Y, and Z happens? What'll I do? And like I've said before, I just think I got so lucky with my friendships. I have 
like I can talk about them for forever. Just I feel that very true sister bond with these women in my life. And I'm so honored that I have them. And of course we all have our flaws and we have our problems, but with them, it was always a safe place to say, Hey, I'm having a problem with you. Can you show me the way? And one of them said to me in college, I was always such a people pleaser. I was very like rollover, no confrontation that made me so upset. I was always worried people would drop me or not want to be my friend anymore. And my roommate was so, so opposite of that. She was very like, go for it, very vocal with her needs. And I really struggled with that, but I really admired that. And she said, we kind of switched at the end of college. She said, well, you made me really nice. Like she went back to her friends from high school and they were like, why did you get so nice? And she said to me, you push back more. Like she taught me this, like, like a trust in myself, a firmness of this is listening to a need that I have and I'm allowed to have it. And I'm allowed to try to express it. And again, in therapy, how, what does that look like? It's going to be clumsy. It's going to be really, really, it made me really anxious asserting a boundary the first two, 10, 50 times. It still does. But I just, that, that kind of inner knowing of like, I can do this and I deserve this. And if I can find people around me who can help nurture that, then like, it's a communal thing. Like we can do this together. We can teach each other and we can learn from each other. Mm, Thank you, Kate. Thank you for sharing that. There's lots of head nods happening here. (laughs) Acknowledgement, understanding. And I know that you in Hearthfire have been really beautifully vulnerable with your own process. And I just really thank you for taking what you've learned and like giving it to us, giving it to others. Love to hear from someone else about Azalea. Mm-hmm. I sort of knew you were next. I was like, do I call on her? Well, she raised her hand. It's funny. I don't entirely know what the words of this are, so I'm just going to start. There's lots of places in my life that I've struggled with belonging, but I feel like the most recently and the most potently was in caretaking and grief. I feel like I can talk lots about friends and all of this, but this, I feel like this is a lens that I can bring to this conversation that maybe other people can't. So yeah, our culture does not know how to be with death and dying and people being sick, especially when you're 29 and the, I'm for sure going to cry through this. Um, the, there's so many layers to it, but I think the first one that just like, of course, if you read anyone talk about grief and their experience of grief and like being with family to die, you talk about the friends that you lose. And it's like a real big thing of just like people that were my people before it happened who are no longer in my life. And that's like the secondary losses that happen. And you just like go from feeling like you belong and you have community to just like it being entirely pulled out from under you. And then there's a layer, like, that's while it's happening. And then there's a layer of, for context, I uh, lost my last grandparent and both of my parents in the span of a year and was a primary caretaker for all three of them as it happened and was, like, with them as they went through the process of dying. And I think, like, that, this is a, a big piece of the like belonging work that I think that I'm doing now is like, what does it mean? What does family mean <laughs> now? Like, what is my identity without my family? And like my picture of family is very different. And what is home 
when you don't have a parent's home to go home to anymore. And like, yeah, the real longing to be connected to your like lineage and a real curiosity that like cruelly and ironically often only happens after you lose it. <laughs> and then that no longer being accessible for you to be able to like ask people for those stories. That's definitely one piece of it. And then I think the other side of it, the, the like friendships on the other side, I mean, there has been also great beauty in finding like certain places that I belong in like deeper relationships because of what's happened and like deeper community with this like awful club that you never wanted to join of <laughs> being an orphan or like losing parents or losing someone period. And like, you know, my relationship with my sister is so much stronger and amazing. And, you know, those are the like silk lining to the dumpster fire, <laughs> as we like to call them. But yeah, I think the real part that's like really been a struggle for like afterwards is like when you go through something like that that lasts such a long time. And there's so much, so much pain, like people get tired of being with you in it. And like you're tired of being in it, but you don't get a choice. <laughs> you don't get to go out. You don't get to go off and like have a fun life. You don't get to not feel what's there um, and not look at it. And I think that was like probably the like most painful of the three um, were moments of that of like deep into it, not like right when it happened, but like deep into it of like having people not be able to be with pain and the, we don't know how to be culturally we're not trained how to be with pain and then like it becomes this aspect of like really the only people that I am and, and, and this I'm sure will shift and change but it, in a place of like the only people that I really trust to hold me are people who have gone through trauma and not from a place of like trauma bonding but that, that that's like the only people that it feels safe to really be with that so yeah that's that's been my struggle with belonging in the last period of my life thank you can I ask you a question yeah okay. I'm so grateful to you for presencing grief and death and I'm super down with that too for different or different experiences with me it's more about pregnancy loss where I, I realized like oh our culture doesn't know how to be with death and I kind of don't know how to be with death yeah uh, and I'm just mad about it and I'm just upset about it. So I'm just alone in it. And so I'm wondering how you're, so you said this is like your primary work right now. Like, I don't want to be like, what are the top tips for helping <laughs> a grieving friend? Although I'm sure that's all over the internet, but like, what is the work for you now? Is it spaces like this where you can share it? Is it showing up in the Greek grief spaces more? Yeah. Like, cause we're all going to be touched by this, you yeah. know? I will, I will a little bit top tips because I think that would actually, <laughs> I'm a little bit of like helpful with that. And I know a lot of people are like desperately watching friends and loved ones go through things and just having no resources for like how to do it. There's a lot of amazing resources out there. The only one that ever actually felt super validating for me was a book called It's Okay That You're Not Okay by Megan Devine. And she has a great website called Refuge in Grief um, that has lots of amazing resources for people who are both grieving and people who are supporting people who are grieving. And I would say the like 
for people supporting people who are grieving the like constant like the number one constant thing with grief that's kind of like we talk about it in other circumstances as, as like microaggressions but it's like basically a microaggression with someone who's grieving and we do this with all sorts of trauma <laughs> it's basically we do these sentences where there's an implied and unsaid second half to a sentence um that's really damaging so say someone so i lost my mother someone saying like you know, at least you had a great relationship with your mother. At least you had such a wonderful time with her. The implied second half to that sentence is so stop being so sad. Stop grieving. That's what's implied. But as soon as you say at least or the silver lining or like anything of that. And, and especially when like people try to spiritualize my grief for me, like it is my total right to like find meaning within this. And that's a great way through it. But when somebody else does it for me, I just like, there's a rage <laughs> and that that like your job as being a person who's sitting beside someone who's grieving is to like also be with your own discomfort and just be able to be like how much can I be with this pain and like not try to fix it not try to make it go away because you can't fix it there's nothing that you can do or say that is ever going to make this any better your job is not that's not your job your job is to like sit beside the person and the people who have helped me the most in and through my grief are the people who were like just could sit beside it and just like even if they were scared like self-managed so that they could stay in conversations that were terrifying for them and like could just be with me as I like went to the depths and like you know the crazy feral grief beast that unleashes within you and could like be with that and could just sit beside it and like receive it and hold it with you and like not take it on themselves but also like not leave the conversation so I don't know if that's <laughs> that answers that question. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, the the mic. Uh, what so? What would people say to me? Um, at least you know you can get pregnant. <laughs> Just what pages me? <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> and then I found myself trying to make them feel better for saying it, so I'd be like, yes. <laughs> like, what am I doing? <laughs> Yeah. And it's one thing if it comes from a person who is like grieving and like has never gotten pregnant and like could never or like never yeah. had a mom. Like that's one thing. But when it comes from somebody who has like who has kids, has a great relationship with her mom or whatever, you're just like, yeah, fuck you. Thank you. I'm just going to leave yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, oh, and so many of us are unconscious of this. So I'm so glad you're presenting it for us, you know, yeah. because grief is always at the table, you know, it's here. Yeah. And it's like, it's also like, I feel like I've learned this really intensely, really quickly, but it's like all trauma, being with all trauma, being with all sadness, being with all heartache, being with all pain, like it's not, we can't fix this in each other. Like it's not our jobs to fix it in each other. It's our jobs to like sit beside someone and be like, this is a really big, scary hole. I'm going to stand beside it with you. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's not our job to fix it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> big, big one. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Azalea. Mm-hmm. Okay. I see Justine. Well, I just, something that I just noted as kind of a, a common theme if I could be presumptuous and, and jump on that is is that I feel like part of the belonging that both Kate and Azalea have pointed out and that maybe we're all finding is like there's not a part of our culture that honors those shadow aspects of 
whatever we're facing. It's just the very human experience that we all have. We will all have grief. And yet when we get there, we suddenly find there's just nothing. There's no lexicon. I mean, it's, it's being developed, you know, it's finally like this space exists, but for so long, I feel like these spaces didn't exist. There is no lexicon. There's no network of people that are easily at our fingertips to help us or to witness us um, and honor who we, we might be figuring out that we know that we are, like Kate was saying. I feel like we have that wisdom maybe not for grief, but maybe of who we are when we're younger. And that kind of gets thieved away from us as we get older. And I think college, I'm, I'm a lot older than Kate, but I feel like I remember those years, like college feels like these nasty trials where we're trying to figure out who we are. And there's like this monolith of other people who probably also are trying to figure out who they are, but we don't have a way of unless we're really, really digging through it and have other people to help with that sounding board, like there's no easy way to just honor that process in each other and see each other for who we really are. It feels like, like it's just like the silent wall. Like we're all trying to fit in. We're all trying to have the whatever appropriate face that people are expecting from us with whatever we might be going through. And it's, I'd say the same for motherhood. That's another one that <laughs> Becca's wading into. And, and I have to say, I'm a little jealous of this beautiful ceremony. I know I've told you this already, like you had this amazing ceremony, this witnessing, because you have, you have had these dialogues and you were ready to say baby shower is not where it's at. Like we need the witnessing for the mother, for the transition and for the self, because of course, if we ourselves are not, you know, kind of emotionally prepared and supported, just like with any other transition in life, like how can we be there for ourselves? How can we be there for our kids, for our friends, for our partners, our parents? You know, we're not, we're not resourced, but I think like we're finding, thank gods or goddesses, we're finding ways to have the like the critical language, you know, just like that's the entry point to even have the words to be able to put on any of this to me was like a big thing. I felt like Kate had me hearkening back like, oh yeah, I remember those feelings and I still have them now. And it's finding out that there is even a dialogue or that there's even others like us sitting here who are seeking that, like that in and of itself is empowering. We're not alone in our loneliness, you know? And I think for me, that transformation into motherhood was something that kind of like pulled all the stuff back up to the surface, the ugly crap, especially. I think it probably, it may have happened whether or not I had children because that's kind of the, I think I talk about the archetypes of made into motherhood. I'm definitely in that place in my life anyway, regardless of having kids or not. But I think that kind of triggered it to, like rip the veil back a little more dramatically. <laughs> and that's a whole new arena of finding belonging there. But just knowing that there are others out there, that there is a space like this and among our friends, amongst our own friends that who are able to sit with the shadows, ours as well as their own while they're 
witnessing our own our own paths that's part of their own experience as well you know when you're like as Ellie was talking about with grief even if you're not the one who's actually going through that trial if a friend can't be there for you with that like they're kind of taking the tools away from themselves in a way they're denying their own I, I'm sorry I, I'm I'm not trying to put these words in your mouth but just from my own experience like mm -hmm they're not able, they're not resourcing themselves either. They're abandoning a part of themselves by turning away from, from that. Anyway, I'm kind of wandering, but that was, those are just some things that rem reminded me of like the things that, that both Kate and Azalea brought up that reminded me of some of my own experiences. And definitely one of the reasons why I finally said, yes, I'm gonna join this, <laughs> this space. Thank you for your words, Justine. I actually really appreciate as like, an, I'm about to be a new mother, when you bring in motherhood and when you share your perspective, like it's very helpful to me in like our virtual circle to, it feels like wisdom that, you, that I'm learning from and benefiting from. So as much as you're like jealous of my, <laughs> my, um, you know, mother blessing, I'm like, teach me, <laughs> teach me. And I felt the same, the moms who, and it was always like this secretive thing. And I've never been this way. The ones who were really honest about like postpartum depression or like the dark thoughts or the feeling of not being enough or all the like real trials that I am sure just about every mom goes through. It, it was like these secret side yeah. little glimpses that they gave me. And I actually felt a little angry, like in reflecting months later, well, grateful that they shared that, shared that there was even anything other than these ridiculous expectations and glowing, you know, motherhood process or that you transform and you just suddenly know everything. And <laughs> that's, that's kind of a total crock that's sold to us. And any mom who, who was able to just leak those tiny little experiences to me I felt so grateful for because in the depths of like my worst places I was like I know I'm not alone I know that so <laughs> anyone who will listen to me I'm ready to tell them not just like that it's all bad it's not just that there are the dark sides of that transition of becoming a mom and if we don't know to look out for it it catches you off guard and then you start thinking oh what's wrong with me and that's you know, we were never supposed to go through that on our own. Just like we're not supposed to go through grief on our own. Like we're not meant to do those things on on our own by ourselves. Thank you. Thank you for your words. We're not meant to do it alone. Underline that three times and highlight it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your words. Tune in next week for the second half of this really powerful conversation. Oh, it's so cool that you could be here to listen to all of these different voices. In this first part, you heard the voices of Kate Udell, Azalea Moen, and Justine Hearn, and myself, Becca Piastrelli. And I wish you could see on the Zoom all these like muted faces nodding along and filling the chat with love as as the conversation evolves, but maybe you can feel that too as you listen to us. 